welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie, and I am here with my last author interview of the season. I am incredibly excited to be speaking with romance author Rosie Dannon all about her new book, Do Your Worst. Rosie, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Um, How are you doing? I am also great. I am really excited to talk about your book. It was such a fun read, and I am just so curious to hear all about your process and the characters. Um, But before we fully delve in, I'm just wondering if you would mind giving us a synopsis of the book, Do Your Worst, and a little bit about yourself as an author. Yes, I can totally do that. And sort of like fun fact slash disclaimer, this is the first conversation that I'm doing, like fully focused on do your worst ahead of oh my like gosh. the schedule. Yeah. So um, yeah, it'll be a dry run. Who knows what, where we'll go. But um, anyway, I feel I feel like I can tackle this first one at least. So um, I'll talk a little about myself first. Uh, I've known myself longer than I've been working on this book. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a contemporary romance author. My debut, The Roomie, came out in 2020. And then a follow-up book, The Intimacy Experiment, came out in 2021. Do Your Worst, the book we're going to talk about mainly today, is actually my first foray into paranormal elements. So that's been a really fun thing to explore creatively. And this book in particular is about a aspiring curse breaker, Riley Rose, our heroine, and a disgraced archaeologist who happens to be British, uh, Clark Edgware, who's our hero. And they unknowingly accept assignments at the same infamous Scottish castle. Um, And that's Arden Castle, which is in the Highlands. And it is gone through, you know, many, many owners over the decades because basically this castle drives everyone who steps foot in it away. Um, And so these two people who are both sort of trying to prove themselves professionally in different ways find themselves butting heads um, without (laughs) any spoilers. Um, but they, while they don't get along, they sort of can't deny the attraction between them. And it almost seems like the curse is like in on matchmaking them because they keep finding themselves in sort of like delightfully wacky situations that force them to spend time together. So, um, that, that's the book itself. And it was really, yeah, it was really fun to explore because magic, you can, you can get into like zany, you know, forced proximity situations. (laughs) Absolutely. I I love a curse that is obsessed with love. <laughs> and yes. I I well I love a curse generally, but I loved um I I was really curious to know how it was going to play out if it was going to be sort of like a a realistic take because your other work had been contemporary, but I I was so delighted that it was like really paranormal and it really was just so well incorporated with the romance, I just feel like there were really nice parallels there. I'm just buzzing to to talk about the book, but I am curious to know, because Do Your Worst is sort of being pitched as like the rom-com version of The Mummy. Um, that was in some of the paperwork I got about the book. I am curious to know, do you have like a favorite romantic adventure film or a favorite adventure film generally? Yeah. So, I mean, it is the mummy um, yes <laughs> and um and i did not necessarily set out to write like 
a, a book inspired by the mummy, even though that almost, I feel like people don't believe me when I say that because loving the mummy is like a part of my public persona. And I think somebody had let me know that I think like four or five years ago, like way, way before I ever thought about this idea and began to write this book, I had tweeted like, oh, I want to do like a gender swap version of the mummy. And it really wasn't until after we turned this book in and I was like kind of looking at it that I was like, oh no, like I did Inception like on myself because if you're not familiar with The Mummy, just in case anyone listening is not, that movie, and it takes place in the 1920s, um, is about like a librarian who is sort of desperate to prove herself as an expert in Egyptology and a sort of swashbuckling adventurer hero um, who kind of helps her and they and they battle a curse. And there's sort of like really fun opposites attract tension and banter between them. Yeah. And in Do Your Worst, I made my hero <laughs> the repressed sort of like <laughs> academic desperate to like kind of prove himself. And my heroine became this like fly by the seat of her pants adventurer. And so I can see that in hindsight, but it really was not intentional. But it was, I'm delighted to have like realized that as a lifelong goal. So I love that. But it's, it's nice that you're living your dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say you, like write the book you want to read. And I, I just really leaned into that. You really did. So would you say then that the sort of, romantic adventure story that best fits with do your worst would be the mummy yes I think that is like the cleanest parallel but I will say you know the way that I got the idea for do your worst like the one that I was conscious of right was that I you know some I I was at a sort of difficult period with my writing at the time and it was you know the core of the pandemic it was you know life was tough yeah Trying to find my way back to like a really joyful way of writing, which is, you know, how I felt when I wrote my first two books. And so part of my process for doing that of figuring out like what ideas do I want to pursue is sometimes I will make a list of just stories I love and I will then look for like themes or, you know, concepts or whatever tropes, anything that I'm like, oh, I want to pull that out and play with it. And when I did that list prior to writing Dear Worst, the list was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Charmed, The Princess Bride, and probably The Mummy was on it. But it was just like all these stories yeah. where there was magical elements. But I think those particular ones that I've identified, I think, do a good job of playing into the tension of the real world with these magical elements. So like people who have very kind of like human relatable problems that they are like sort of complicated and potentially solved with like some kind of magical influence and so while I would say the mummy is again like the cleanest parallel for people I think you'll get if you loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer if you loved Charmed I think you'll see elements of that in the writing as well oh definitely I I think it's um it's sort of a conglomerate of all of those really uh, just delightful 90s paranormal like films and tv shows that you just don't really get anymore um, yeah it's very yeah. of an era and i think like maybe there is a resurgence happening which like i'm personally really excited about because i don't know if you heard this but like there's a buffy um like amazon audit audio 
Audible. Yes, that's the word I was trying to get. There's like an Audible series now that's like oh, amazing. Back up. And I think, you know, the Teen Wolf movie was coming back out. So I think maybe that kind of like, yeah, exactly. Like almost like campy. Um, yeah. Like high. A lot of this all had romance in them as well. So like campy, romantic, paranormal that, yeah, was really big in like the 90s and the early aughts. Like, can we reinvent that? And can we explore that with like today's challenges, right? Yeah. I think I do feel like overall, it's almost like this a really, really wonderful thing that has come post-COVID is I think people have really taken the time to see what people are actually like wanting in their media. And I think people are like really craving these types of stories. And I think I'm seeing a lot more of them now, but especially I remember when The Lost City came out, it just felt like I was re-watching like a 90s rom-com. It was so weird and so fun and so random. And I just felt like I hadn't seen a romance like that in so long. Um, So yeah. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think it is in the pandemic, I think a lot of people wanted escapism and they also wanted like joy like it was yeah. hard you know our lives were were smaller our lives were in a lot of ways like painful or, or scary and so the search for the kinds of stories that brought like comfort and but still allowed us to kind of again go on like a little adventure from your couch I think it's I I just love having that come back and I think those are the stories that do, I think, like light up a part of my emo- like um, imagination that like I haven't felt as much since I was younger. Yeah, so it's, yeah I'm just so exor- excited because you're right, that is being explored, I think, in all kinds of medium um, right now. And it's it's great to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about some of your inspiration behind this book, but I am curious to know what was it specifically about the Scottish Highlands that was so appealing to you as a writer? Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is another setting that is sort of inherently has this like magical feel to it. And maybe part of that is like, you know, I loved Outlander and and that kind of thing. Um, but I actually went to the Scottish Highlands while I was working on this book for uh my honeymoon, actually with my husband. <gasps> Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um So it was part of like, I was like, oh, great. I can kind of like research while we're there. But um, it was just like pure delight. Uh, But we were able to, you know, go to Inverness and like some of the surrounding areas, which is, again, kind of where the story is set. And actually talk to like quite a few local historians about the fairy folklore of that particular region. And at the time I had said like, oh, I know I want this book to have a curse, but I hadn't figured out exactly what type of curse or what the curse's origin was. And when I heard this, I was like, oh, I love the idea of fairies, specifically in sort of the Scottish tradition, because they are mischief makers. And I really liked the idea of the ability to sort of like play with the language of the curse, which is like a big thing in Do Your Worst. Because it's sort of, you can't take anything that the fairies tell you at face value, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it meant that the characters could feel like they were starting to put the pieces together, but yeah. have them in the wrong order, which I found, again, like narratively created a nice sense of exploration for the reader as you're, you're sort of like, you are kind of solving the curse with them over the yeah. course of the, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there um, 
like a specific castle or a specific tale that you heard that went into the book? That's a great question. So originally I had thought about setting it in France because there was a specific estate that I had come across that I I just thought was so interesting because it was having, I remember seeing photographs of it and being like, there are so many different lives that you can see when you look at this chateau um, because so many different people have come in and shaped it, right? So they've mm-hmm. put up scaffolding or they've had wallpaper and, or you see like the remains of a fireplace from, you know, this renovation or whatever. So when you as a modern person were walking through, it was like, oh, like history is like in this room with us yeah. and the footsteps of these people who were in our same spot, but like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, it's like this echo of that. And um, I was like, that is kind of what I want to capture for the setting, Um, which again, like without getting into spoilers, like there is, you're sort of getting the history of the castle again as part of the curse. And the reason that I didn't set it in a chateau, um, the reason I moved it to Scotland was not only did I, you know, kind of get swept away in this fairy tale, literally, I do not speak French. And I was like, no, if it's set in France, like there's too many like French things that I, it was kind of hard for me. I was like, you know where they speak English? Scotland. So, yeah. Amazing. And you know what? I think there's just something about Scotland that's really magical, especially up in the Highlands. It's like no other place you've ever yeah. seen before. Yeah. You know, it, it really is something special. I totally agree. I think like going up there, like I said, and having like the physical response to like, especially because there's so many like really ancient structures, like you can go to the standing stones and um, you're just like, holy moly, like something, there is like an energy here. So I was, I was like, okay, validated (laughs) my choice to like not learn French. (laughs) That's good. I'm really glad. (laughs) Um, So do your worst has just a great cast of characters outside of Riley and Clark. We have, so many like wonderful Scottish natives and other really great characters. I'm curious to know, is there a character you had the most fun getting to write? And if they're different, uh, do you have a character that you relate to the most? That's a good question. So I will say like, I think um, while there is like some really fun Scottish side characters that I got to develop and like one of them is named Kaylee, um, who is sort of like a local, um, student who's studying specifically like the history of Arden Castle. Um, she was influenced by, I actually have a friend whose name is Kaylee and it's spelled like that in, Mm because in the book, the Gaelic spelling, which nobody can pronounce if you like look at it um and you don't have like an understanding of scott's gaelic you're like oh her name is like Kelady. like <laughs> it's very confusing um so that was kind of fun as like an easter egg for me to be like you know she's like one of those people that you never see her name on like a keychain or yeah <laughs> like i'm gonna put your name in the book and like we'll have a joke about how no one can pronounce it um So that was kind of like a fun side character exploration. But I will say like this book, even more so than my other books, is really close focus in Mm. on the main characters because they are sort of isolated by being trapped kind of in the castle. So I'm trying to think like who's more. 
I mean, they're fun in different ways, right? I think I'll, I guess I'll go with Clark, um, the hero, because I think he's very brooding and he's sort of like a sad boy. <laughs> and it's kind of fun. There's definitely like things that like are a little bit mean to him that happen in the books, um, <laughs> which I like had fun with, right? So maybe that's a little bit, um, I don't know, makes me sound like a little evil, but sometimes it's just like fun to make you know your male character suffer and then we like you know we we let him yeah. have joy in the end but like there's it's okay yeah <laughs> um so that was fun and then i probably you know as much as i just ragged on him i probably do relate to him the most um <laughs> necessarily in the brooding but i think in the sense of like responsibility that he feels to mm-hmm. his family in terms of like wanting to make them proud. I think that's something that I have always felt. And I like Riley is very, you know, again, like free spirited and like yeah. not very careful. And Clark is kind of always like, oh my gosh, like, please, like you're going to injure yourself <laughs> or others. And I'm more of like a worry wart in that way. That's fair. He's also so, um, I was just really, I was really tickled by Clark because he, is really this like specific brand of like repressed English boy. Yeah. <laughs> just like <laughs> and like you just pairing him with an American, much less like a very vivacious loud American, was just so <laughs> funny. <laughs> exactly. That's like some of the suffering that was that was fun to write where he's just like I think that's actually a part of like the description when he like first sees her before he even like gets to know her. He um he sees her across the bar and he's like everything about her is loud like she has this like bleach blonde hair and like low-cut top and like red lipstick and he's just like that is an American (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so perfect segue let's talk about Riley and Clark what was your favorite part of their relationship yeah, I mean, I uh, really gravitate towards opposites attract as a writer, mm-hmm. and it's something. If you look across my work, um, you'll see like different versions of that and different iterations between my my main couples. And I, and I think one of the reasons I gravitate towards it is it just does create such delicious tension when your two characters are just completely opposed <laughs> to the way that. Yeah one another think um their histories are different like they just I I really enjoy as part of a love story to see them meet in the middle and to understand each other so that was you know something that was fun here because they again Clark and Riley not only are their personalities different but like their their backgrounds are really different like Clark is a PhD and I'm like almost laughing to myself which is horrible because I like there was a joke that I wrote and then deleted where like he talks about his PhD and there's like a pretty huge dick joke that I like deleted and I was just thinking about that um but and Riley is like self-taught like never went to college like very everything is sort of like again almost like folklore like she's really like Mm -hmm. leaning into stories that have been passed down through the matrilineal line of her family so I liked like their different approaches to problem solving like Clark is very, you know, research and it needs to be done in this way and everything needs to be quantified and proven. And um, Riley is more like, well, I feel like it's this <laughs> very like intuition. Yeah. So that was fun. In terms of what surprised me between them. Uh, that's a good question. 
I mean, I think not to like kind of get too into this, but like they have their, they find that their sort of like preferences in the bedroom are sort of complimentary. <laughs> I know. I was like, am I going? Like, I guess I am um, in order to answer this question. And I think that was like kind of a fun thing to explore where like Riley, who is very like independent um, and almost like aggressive in her personality, mm-hmm. sort of, like wants to like cede control a little bit. And for Clark to find this place where he is comfortable like giving that to her and the way that that interacts. It was definitely the first time that I had explored that in a book. So that was fun. I mean, your sexy scenes are so hot. I hope it's okay that I say that to you. I read a lot of romance and sometimes you read some intimate scenes where you're just like, oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but these ones are just so like sexy. I was reading this book on the train and I was like <laughs> giggling and blushing to myself, looking away. Um, and I, I just think that's like a reader knows what they're getting into when they're going to read a Rosie Dannon book. Like your books are notoriously really, really like intimate. I I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like the choreography of those scenes is so good. And I don't want to spoil anything about the book, especially because it's not even been released yet, but I just want to know, when you were creating The Curse, did you know you were going to make that sexy little scene? <laughs> um, I think we could talk about this a little bit, just because I have kind of, like, talked about it a little bit in, like, promotional materials. And yeah. Stuff, and it'll better who else to answer the question. So um, there's, like, a, a sex ritual <laughs> in the book. And uh, it's a great question that you're asking, because it was something that I added like relatively late in the book, I would say. And it's because my early readers kept like thinking that they were going to try to like, going to have to have sex to break the curse. Like people, like multiple people, you know, totally independent of one another were like reading it and they're like, oh, so they're going to have to like have sex in the castle and that's going to break the curse. Right. And I was like, you know, that's an interesting idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let me see if I can work that in in some capacity. So no spoilers about like whether it's successful or exactly like what goes into it that you'll have to read to find out. But I think like adding it in was definitely like a very narratively satisfying choice. Um, oh, definitely. I think. And it allowed me again, I, I when I write intimate scenes and thank you for like saying nice things about them. I always try to like make them as unique as possible mm-hmm. to the specific characters and stories so like I don't know that I will always succeed in this but my goal is that like you could look across my work and like none of the intimate scenes are interchangeable because it could only happen to these people in this place at this time kind of thing and I think like that that sex ritual scene is very true like it could only happen in do your worst between these two characters (laughs) um I try to like take advantage of those opportunities Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, and I've not read, um, your second book, but I can attest that between the first and this one, they're not interchangeable. (laughs) No, I mean, I think like a lot of romance readers tend to be like high volume romance readers, right? Like they're, they're reading a lot. And if you like spicy romance, potentially you're reading like a lot of these kind of scenes. And for me personally, if like, if there's not something, a fresh take on it, 
I just find that like I don't enjoy it as much right so yeah I'm always like I do put a lot of thought and maybe that seems like silly or unexpected but like I really it's challenging to push yeah. them um because it's not you know both from a choreography standpoint but like honestly I think that's sort of like a surface level thing it's more about like emotionally what are the complications that are going to be introduced because I think you want it to be good but you don't want it to be easy and um so just figuring out like what that element looks like yeah well I think the work that you put into it definitely shows okay moving away from sex a little bit um (laughs) I'm curious about so Riley and Clark enemies to lovers and you sort of mentioned that that was one of your favorite tropes to work with but I was curious because the two of them also have these sort of similarities um they're both like fish out of water I mean he's British but he's from England she's from America and they both have this need to prove themselves in their field in addition to sort of having complicated feelings towards like the matriarch or patriarch of their family I was just wondering if you could speak on that a little bit or how that came to be? Yeah, I think it's funny and like seeing what comes out in reflection after having written the book versus what goes, what you go into the book wanting to express, right? And I think the similarities between them is a really good example of something that kind of comes about as part of the romantic development and that I then appreciate at this part of the process more than having it be consciously intentional Mm. but I think you're right and I think usually like what the characters are exploring in the book tends to be something that I myself am struggling with or trying to process and I would say at the time that I was working on this book I was thinking a lot about career and how Mm career defines us you know this is my my third book and I think you're at sort of a pivot point in your career as a writer you know there's like debut is such a distinct stage um and then I would even argue that your second book is like kind of a distinct stage but your a third book sort of sets charts a course for like where do I want to go and it's it's just a very different process so I think that's what you see them both exploring in ways that are connected and maybe ways that are disconnected as well is this idea of like, maybe my job isn't the only thing that defines me. I think there's even like a line in the book where the characters are having a discussion that sort of mirrors this. And Riley says to Clark, like, you will, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to get the line right, but like, like, you will be a good man, whether you are able to get this redemption professionally like whether you come back and you're a super successful archaeologist or if you're like a layabout then like you know shelf books at the library or whatever like it does not change the fact that you're a good person and I like see that in you and I think that was something that I I like wanted to hear yeah yeah definitely I I just find them so you just want to root for both of them and I think the balance of a career life balance is something that has always fascinated me in like character driven stories like this um, as well. Um, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. One of our last questions before we let you go. Um, I am curious to know, so you write a lot about enemies to lovers, but are there any tropes or um, like classic 
romance tales that you're sort of ex- excited to dive into one day? Yeah, I I really like a micro trope, and I think there's some really fun micro tropes in Dear like Enemies Lover is definitely like the overarching yeah. trope, but like some of the micro tropes is like the like oh we're chained together <laughs> like something <laughs> you have to figure that out yeah um, I would even argue that like sort of like erotic hair braiding is sort of like a micro trope that is in yeah. but those are the ones that when I'm planning a story I'm often like oh I want to like try to do a version of this um and I'm trying to think like some of the ones that I'm exploring. I've been trying. I tried to do this in Do Your Worst and it did not work and I had to take it out. And I'm now trying it in the draft that I have right now, which is like one character has to be like physically restrained because magic is like going to make them do something. (laughs) I like really wanted a scene. I don't even remember how I thought this. I guess I thought the curse was going to make them do something because it was an early draft. Um, but yeah, I've been like, that's a, I think a great paranormal romance trope is like, yeah. you know, we got to strap this guy to a tree because he's going to like <laughs> transform or whatever. And so trying to figure out how to do that. And it's both a blessing and a curse. Cause I think like those micro tropes can be amazing inspiration and they can really like mm-hmm. set scene. But sometimes I'm like, you are trying to force like a square peg into a round hole and they're just like, <laughs> no way you're gonna make it happen um yeah so who knows uh maybe one day (laughs) maybe one day so is your next book a little bit magical too yes love Uh, it yes I think it's similar to do your worst where because like the sort of way that I've set off my paranormal exploration based on or or you know I'm sure someone else is doing this but like I know a lot of it it's um sort of like more intense world building whereas like my particular interests lay in exploring what if our world but magic right so it's like very little almost subtle shifts and trying to allow the characters to calibrate to that and in my books too there's usually both of these stories like do your worst than the one that I'm working on now characters are actually reckoning with the fact that magic is real so it's not something that was like accepted previously it's like oh if this is real what does that mean about me for me and like how is how do I operate differently now that I know this yeah yeah I think it's um it's a good way to introduce it into romance but also it's just magical realism is so delightful because then you can just think that magic is also real Cause it's, I think it's like, I like it, right? Because like, okay, if curses are real, then like maybe that could happen to me. Maybe. Um, yeah. Who's to so, say? <laughs> exactly. Like, I think I like the idea of like escapism that like you can slip into um, is sort of like the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I love it. So, um, Rosie, I have two questions for you before I let you go. I hope that's okay. Um, You will be free soon. And this is a question that I've asked a few romance authors and they seem to find it really funny. So I'm asking it to you now, but if you don't want me to release it, I will not. Um, I date an English guy. So we play Hiss, Mary, Avoid or Shag, Mary, Avoid. It's much nicer than the American version. (laughs) (laughs) So... I am wondering, since you have three romantic heroes in the world of Rosie Dannon, who would be your Shag Mary Avoid? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think as an author, you try to make each of them someone 
that you could fall in love with, right? So yeah. it's it's an inherent complication in it. Um, I think that I will go. Oh, it's hard. It's harder than I thought it would be. Um, Sorry. I'll go Shag Clark. Um, okay. I do think there's like again a nice tension in sort of like the like very repressed in the streets, but like intriguing in the sheets. <laughs> um thing going on there so that could be fun um I think that I would marry Josh from the roommate okay um, which is maybe like more of an outlier or unexpected thing for maybe people who know me in real life and I the reason I'm picking him is I actually think I'm most like Ethan who is like the hero of my second book who I will unfortunately have to avoid so I think I'm trying to pick my own opposites attract in the sense that (laughs) I think Josh would bring out, you know, like make me take myself less seriously. And like some of those things that I think if I were with Ethan, it would be like doubling down. Like we would yeah. just like lose like days <laughs> being like, let's talk about like, you know, the moon and what do we think the moon symbolizes. <laughs> Um, and I, I think that would be inefficient. So yeah, that'll be my answer. Great. So for efficiency, you must <laughs> marry Josh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Rosie, so Do Your Worst comes out very soon, uh, start in November. Do you have a favorite independent bookshop where people can purchase or pre-order your book? Yeah. So if you would like to get a signed and personalized copy of Do Your Worst with some awesome pre-order swag, there's Ooh. a really gorgeous, it's a over a transparent page overlay uh, with character art that's exclusive. And oh my gosh. Yeah, you can get that and it slips right into your book. So I think that's kind of a cool thing. And you can also get a custom vinyl sticker if you order through Town Book Center, which is a Collegeville PA um, local indie to where I am now. And uh, you can find their information on my website, rosydannon.com. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, if you guys are interested in following Rosie's book journey, slash purchasing her book, I will link um, Town Book Center and Rosie's website to our episode description. Um, Rosie, I can't thank you enough for joining. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, Everybody go and pre-order Do Your Worst. I can't recommend it enough. It's been definitely one of my favorite romances of the year. Um, Thank you so much. yeah, <laughs> it was great to, great to chat with you. Really appreciate it. No, anytime, anytime. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. (laughs) Um, And if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next time.